Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. I'm looking forward to the next couple of months and getting back into the swing of things with this podcast. I want to thank you guys, the listeners, for all of the support that you've given my podcast over the years. It's hard to believe that I started this in February of 2015. Uh, It's been a great journey and I look forward to uh, getting more information to you guys. I want to thank the sponsors of this podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com and remind you guys that the Black Friday sale actually is starting early on November 12th. There's tons of great gear that's 60% off at the Go Hunt gear shop. Go to GoHunt.com. Also, remember with this Black Friday sale, when you sign up for Insider, you're going to get $100 off to spend at the Go Hunt gear shop. That's just when you sign up for Insider. If you want the Explorer, you get $50 to spend in the Go Hunt gear shop. Go to GoHunt.com. Use the J. Scott promo code. Uh, Guys, I want to thank GoHunt for their sponsorship. I want to thank you guys for supporting GoHunt. They've been a a loyal supporter of mine from the beginning, so go check them out. I also want to thank Kuyu.com. Kuyu is the ultralight hunting gear that I've been wearing since 2010. Uh, Great ultralight hunting gear. Uh, They've got three camo patterns from the Velo to the Verde to the Vias. Uh, they've got packs. They've got all sorts of great lightweight gear. Go to Kuyu.com to order. It's a direct-to-consumer website. You can go to Kuyu.com to order the gear there. I also want to thank Phonescope.com. Use the JScott23 promo code for a 10% discount. Phonescope is the digiscoping device that I use on my iPhone uh, to capture some of the videos and photos that you see on my Instagram account. And then I'd also like to thank Lathrop and Sons and remind you that they're doing a mountain hunt boot giveaway and a custom synergy footbed giveaway all you have to do to enter is go to lathropandsons.com click on the link there to enter into the giveaway and you can be entered into that drawing give james and Stephen a call if you want to discuss and talk to them about their three boots they basically have the encompass the mountain hunter and the elite boot plus their custom synergy footbeds i've been wearing them uh, now for over a year and just absolutely love their boots you there's two ways to get hold of them boots at lathropandsons.com or you can call them directly call james call Stephen directly they're two brothers 618-544 8782. Guys, let's get right to these episodes. If you'd like to send me a message, you can go to my Instagram account, which is at jscottoutdoors. You can send me an email, jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. God bless and thanks for your support. We've got a couple questions here from Instagram followers. Um, want to dive into. We've got in thick country, how long do you glass in one spot before moving? And and for that um, I mean, there's it very ver- so many variables. Is it rut period? Is it January? Is it December? Is it October? Is it November? Uh, let's take this basis of the question on your primary what you would do in glassing in one spot uh, before moving in thick country. Let's say October, November, December. Okay. Um, to be honest with you, it, even into January, my, the way uh, that I approach, it, it's not going to be much different. So, and there's no magic number, you know, I can't say 20 minutes go 45 minutes, then it's time to leave it. There's no magic number. 
when I decide to pick up and leave is when I feel like I've seen all the deer on that hillside or most of them. And that could be 10 minutes. That could be an hour and a half. That could be all day. It just depends on the deer activity and how thick it is. So, um, it, and if it's so thick that I got to stay there all day to see what's on it, I've got to have a pretty good feeling that there's a big buck on it for me to even begin to hunt that stuff that thick. But, um, I basically let the activity dictate what I do. So, um, if they're on their feet and I'm seeing deer, um, and then I see some more deer and then some more deer, I'm not leaving until I stop seeing new deer. You know, if I continue to see new deer every 20 minutes, then I'm not leaving. And, uh, if I've been looking at the same deer for an hour and I haven't turned up any new deer, but the deer that I am seeing are on their feet, well, it might be time to move. That's just, it's just an experience thing. And, uh, you just have to kind of get a feeling for it. And, and I can tell you right now, I know lots of times I get up and leave and I am certain that there's a big buck on that hillside, but you know, at some point you got to make a decision. Do I go look at new country or do I stay here? So, uh, tricky question to answer but even in january i it's the same thing when i feel like i've seen all the deer on that hillside then then i move another question how far will a coos typically travel to water Uh, i think ideally they uh, they like to be within a mile and a half but i know of multiple instances especially in the really low density um, de- low deer density desert country that is is just dry country to begin with. I know of some bucks that are living in places right now that the nearest water that I'm aware of, and I've gotten actually gotten pictures of them on that water, so I know they're using it. Is is you know three miles. So uh, there's a, there's a small amount of deer that will travel you know three miles to get water and then go back. Next question. Biggest coos you've seen on the hoof in Arizona? Oh, 133 is the biggest deer that I can, you know, say I know for sure how big he was. I've seen lots in the 120s. And, uh, you know, when you see a deer in the 120s, I'll be, I'll be quite honest with you. I, if I see a deer in the 120s, it's very difficult for me to say that was a 130 inch deer because I'm conservative by nature. And on top of that, that's just a lot of inches to count. <laughs> so there's potential that I've seen bigger, but I, I can't say so for sure. Yeah, I hear you. When they get that big, it's just like saw another big buck, and it You're doesn't right. really yeah. matter if he's 120 or 130. Uh, do coos bucks rut the same in the same area year after year, in your opinion? Hmm. Yeah, yes and no. So <clears throat> um, I think... And each deer is different, just like humans. Um, the older a deer gets, it seems to me like that the the older he gets, the closer he stays to his bedroom to rut. And uh, that, like I said, that varies from deer to deer. So the but, tighter the the more mature the buck, the tighter his circle becomes. That's I, my yeah. I that's agree my with opinion. that. I agree with yeah. that a hundred percent. Some some deer, on the other hand, I've seen them rut. You know, I've seen them rut one year here, and I go back and look and look and look for that thing, and I cannot find him. 
and I just get lucky and catch him running a mile and a half away the next year. And so it, it, it's just, it just varies. Tough question to answer. Let's see. Will Coos Bucks respond to grunt call, doe bleat, or any type of calling? Yeah, absolutely. I have had so much luck using uh, deer grunts, doe bleats, and rattling. Um, when? It, it, when? Specific. Oh, when? Specific. Um, it, you're typically, well, every call works better at a different point in time. So I would say, like, if rattling works better during the pre rut, like beginning of January before bucks start to breed, do excuse me, before bucks start to breed does and they're cruising, any bit of activity, like, you know, two deer fighting, they just, you know, they want to get in on that action. So, uh, pre-rut is best for rattling and then post-rut to some degree. Um, doe bleats just pre-rut as well. It's like a cow call for a bull elk. Um, it's just very difficult to get them to hear that bleat, but if you can get in close and use it, uh, pre-rut into the peak of the rut um if they're on a hot doe it's unlikely they're going to come off of that hot doe to come check out another doe bleat but um you know if they're in between hot does definitely uh, and then grunt calls work basically throughout the, all stages of the rut from the pre-rut for the same reasons that uh, rattling works to the peak of the rut um if it's bucks are they're very territorial and when they have a hot doe and they're locked down on a hot doe, they are so used to other bucks, especially small bucks, coming in there and trying to, you know, just get a smell of that doe and chase her around. They are most mature bucks are very intolerant to that. And if you get close enough, very similar to a bull elk, you get in their bedroom and bugle, or you get in, you get in tight to him on a hot doe, and and he hears that grunt. It, it will pull them right to you a lot of the time. Okay, got a question here. Uh, best tips for sealing the deal in the last 100 yards on a stock with a bow? Hmm. So, you know, Jay, to answer this, it's going to be a little long-winded, and I apologize for that. But <laughs> I, <laughs> I believe it's important to start at the beginning for the listeners because there's so much that has to go right just to get to 100 yards so um you know i rifle hunt no or i archery hunt realistically no different than i rifle hunt i get up on high points i glass the same bowls the same fingers the same faces everything and when i find a shooter buck um that's where the that's where the difference starts R with a rifle many times you can make a move immediately or you you know you put them to bed and once you got them to bed with a rifle at that point uh it's likely you're going to kill that deer uh with a bow i very rarely stock make a start making a stock um before like 11 in the morning i give the wind and the thermals an opportunity to settle and do what they're going to do and start you know thermals start rising and uh let the wind kind of start going one steady direction so you know which angle you got to come from <clears throat> and then uh 
you know, once that, and then I make sure the deer bets down. Uh, I might maybe try to get closer to the deer while he's on his feet and then sit down and glass from there and watch him bed. But uh, I want that deer to bed. And many times I, I watch him until he gets up and beds for a second time. To make, I just want to know that that deer is going to be in his, you know, the location he's going to be in for quite some time. Uh, before I leave for a stalk, I do what you were talking about earlier, where I memorize landmarks. And it is ultra critical. This part is so critical because when you get on the hillside that the deer's, you know, bedded on, it looks completely different. So, and many times I'll take a picture with my phone just so I know, oh man, there's a century plant here a green rock here, I, I'm right, you know, this deer has to be right underneath me. And uh, once I make my stock, I never come from underneath him. I mean, 97% of the time, I will not come from underneath him unless it's a very gradual climb. And, uh, you know, sometimes that, that'll work out, but I'd recommend against it in most cases. Then I, I get behind him, and so often you get over there and realize the wind's not doing what you it was doing when you left. So you almost have to make a judgment call on the backside of the mountain that that deer is bedded on. Um, if, if he is on a, uh, on a mountain or something or a ridge, if he happened to be bedded in the flats, well, that's nice because you can just kind of get downwind and go. But um, never will I give up elevation to go completely down will, downwind of a deer. So I would, you know, more than half the time that I'm stalking a deer, I have the wind on, on, on this is from that last hundred yards closing in on that last hundred yards i have the wind on many times on my left cheek or my right cheek so you know three o'clock depending on which route i decide to take and also before i start my stock when i'm looking at landmarks i try to memorize shooting lanes as well and so it's very difficult to think of all that and then, and then make an hour stock or two, you know, sometimes it's two hours just to get in position um, and, and keep all that in your brain. But it's super critical. And uh, once you get over there and you decide what the wind's going to do, um, you pick a kind of many times you're coming up over a rise or a ridge from the south facing slope over onto the north side. And you're coming kind of at an angle with not necessarily straight down to them unless the wind is straight in your face. And um, at that point, you know, so I see a lot of people take their boots off. That's something that I choose not to do um, because if that deer was to move, you know, or maybe gets in a fight and he, there's a million things that could happen. I want to be able to uh, stay mobile. So I leave my boots on. Um, uh, once and then uh, now I'm kind of getting into probably answering the question that was originally asked and uh, that is closing that last 100 yards so before I get to where I'm even on the same hillside I typically put on knee pads and if I feel like I'm going to be visible to that deer at any point um, I'm crawling uh, you know and it's always um, it's it always brings a lot of anxiety from the time you leave where you glass that deer up from where you get onto his hillside because you're concerned the entire time that he got up and he left so i i really try to make that happen as fast as get on his hillside as fast as possible and then i really slow things down and uh <clears throat> it's important to 
be super focused at this point because this next, you know, that last hundred yards can take hours. And when you get into shooting, once you get into shooting range and realize that the deer is there, I mean, that it relieves all anxiety for me at that point. Um, if I'm within, you know, my effective range and I have a lane, I'll stop right there. I, I don't think it's necessary to get 20 yards from the deer just because he's still bedded. Granted, in, with, the, with the way that they like to lay down and the places they'd like to lay down, many times you have to get 30 or 40 yards from them just to have an angle on them. I would say, so I've killed nine archery coos deer um, in my life in Arizona, and I would say that five or six of them have been under 40 yards. And, and that's just the way, that's just the way the contour of the mountainsides, uh, you know, it, it makes you get that close to get a shot. So uh, if once I get into range, I will stop. And, and I know the deer's there. I will stop and I'll just sit there. And many times it is hours. So I recommend keeping a jacket on you, even if it's somewhat warm, because you don't want to get cold sitting there. Um, and at that point, you just be patient and you wait. And uh, there's so much more to it. It's such a complex. Um, it's just a, such a complex thing, and you have to be able to adapt and make choices at the last minute for it to work out. One thing I will say is that, especially if it's a, a target, just a really special deer, and you don't want to blow him out. If things aren't perfect, and he's not in a position where you have a high probability of getting on him, just back out. You know, that's what I recommend. Um, I can, I don't, you know, I, I, I rambled on long enough there. I kind of lost track of where I was at. No, I mean, I think you're covering it great. The last hundred yards. I get that question a lot. People asking me and what I see, the mistakes that I've made and the mistakes that I see people making are in that last hundred yards or so and they get very impatient and they've done all the preparation. They've done everything right and then they get impatient and they move too fast they they you almost have to for lack of better way to explain it tell me your thoughts on this you almost have you have for one you have to believe that the deer has not moved and he's in the exact same position you have to believe it in your heart you cannot go into it halfway you have to believe that he's there and you have to do everything right that he's there and he he can hear you if you make a mistake number two would you agree that if you almost treat it like if he hears you if he sees you pretend like you're sneaking up some on someone you're in war almost and if he hears you or he sees you he's going to shoot you and <laughs> if you go with that much intensity as far as trying to do everything right, instead of just blowing them out, you actually think if he sees me or smells me or hears me, he's going to shoot back. You're going to do things a lot differently. Tell me your thoughts on taking that much intensity and belief that I need to do everything right into the field and how critical that is. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you said all that because it's spot on. Um, what one thing that I see many people like, especially people just starting out is once they get into that hundred yard range, um, it's sometimes I just know so many people who have been in this position. It's almost like they just 
they realize that, that uh, you know, it's going to be very difficult from here on out. It's going to be very time consuming. And they almost kind of hope that the deer will tolerate them getting to within shooting range. And they hope it works out. And you're you're 100 percent right. If if you go into it with the that amount of intensity, and you believe that you know if if they hear you, then it, you know that's the world's going to stop turning. That I mean, that's really what it takes. It takes a totally different level uh, mindset than most anything. Um, you know, most any sport and. You know, I grew up playing sports, and and that's helped me tremendously with stalking these deer, mindset wise. But it's like on a, it's a, you know, it's a different level of, uh, you know, just getting your mind in the right place, and you have, you really have to want it so bad, um, that you are going, you, you know, you're going to be willing to get stuck doing a half squat, and your legs are just burning, and you're sweating. And you know that if you move a muscle at that point in time, because the gust, you know, the wind had been gusting and it stopped, and you're standing on a, you know, a branch that's about to break, it's going to be over. You, you know, it, it. It's just super important to have that mindset. A few things that you know I left out that I feel are ultra critical is, um, and I know guys who do this, they get in that range, they get 150 yards, they're about to start rolling over onto where that deer is, and then they take their binoculars off and their jacket off to leave behind. And, and my binoculars, uh, even at 50 yards, 40 yards, are my most critical tool. Because those deer, even at 40 yards, you will not see them without you know, lifting your binoculars to your face. And peering through every blade of grass, every branch, it's almost like glassing for them all over again. And many times in in that uh, time span that you were relocating to get on the hillside that they're on, they might have got up and moved 20 yards. So when you realize that maybe they're not under the tree that you thought they were, then at that point, it's almost time to start glassing all over again. You know, really slow all over down underneath you and around you and... um, because likely they're not very far. Even if they moved, you know, got under a different tree, the likelihood is that they did not move m- more than probably five or ten yards, and you just need to pick them up again. But don't yeah, you very- need to act like they're still right there? I think, I think you make a good point. Of a lot of people don't realize how much mental toughness it takes to just know that that deer is still right there, even if he's not under the in the exact bed he was in he's literally within a couple of yards and you just have to find him or you have to wait him out. And I give people a lot of times advice of when you get to 100 yards and you have time and you've got the season, some people are just better off to get to that 100-yard mark and hopefully wait him out and hope that that deer comes to him because you have basically a 50% chance that the deer's going to get up and work his way towards you um, you know, and maybe not a hundred yards, maybe it's 60 or 70 and then just be patient and hope that the deer makes a mistake. I think a lot more people would be, and, and please, if you disagree with me, let me know. But I think a lot, a lot of people would be a lot more successful with their archery hunting if they would get into that 60 or 70 and not try and close that additional 20, 30, 40 yards 
and then let it happen. And if it happens, it happens. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. But it seems like people are so time uh, conscientious and you know time crunched that they've just got that one day to hunt. And I get it. But the reality is, you know, nine times, ninety-nine out of a hundred times, you're going to spook that deer when you get much closer than sixty yards. Yeah, I mean, you basically took the words out of my mouth, and that goes for every animal, not just coos deer, especially during the rut. Um, it, you know, if, if there's a hot doe on that hillside, one huge problem is there's likely going to be other bucks. I can't tell you how many times it's happened where you are within range and you were just waiting for, you know, that buck to stand up. And a two point comes, you know, just trailing that, that doe scent. And, and comes 10 yards from you and stands there and blows out of there and takes the other two deer with him, you know? And so, uh, yeah, that, that is, the, I think that's a killer tip, especially during the rut. Um, if you can stop it at a hundred yards, then do so. It, one problem is on steep hillsides. You, it, it's very difficult to do that because you don't know if they're, the, you don't know where they're at a lot of time until you get, within 60 yards of, you know, oh, wow, there's the tree. You know, I thought I was much higher, much lower. So, you know, great tip, though. Uh, we've got several more questions here. Um, I know we're a little bit limited on time. I've got one here. Explain north-facing slopes and how far you are glassing, trying to see eyes, ears, uh, belly, antler tips, uh, etc., I think you and I have talked about the north-facing slopes uh, quite a bit in several of our podcasts, but that does bring up a question of how far do you typically, what is the magic uh, number for you, f you know, out on that rocky point that you were talking, um, and obviously every situation is different, but if, if you could draw it up, how far would you want to be from that north-facing slope? You know, we were at... We were 550 from that slope, and and we you know we just didn't have any other choice. Um, I think if I think anywhere from 500 to 1200 yards is, you know, I think that's those are realistic yardages. You you know you're only going to be able to get as close as the mountains allow you to get. So I many times, um, especially if I'm hunting from which is 90 percent of the time the way I do it. I'm hunting from the north going south, and I like to get up and look into as many north slopes as I can while, you know, throughout the day headed south. So many times when you peek up and over a new one, you have no choice but to be 300 yards, and, and, that, and it, you, it just changes um, how fast you climb up and over into it and get set up. And at that point, you know, it, it's not that's not ideal to be three or 400 yards in my opinion, from one of those north slopes, I'd much rather be seven, eight hundred yards, just because I have that freedom to move around. But um, if you get in that position, you got to just quietly set up, and you you know you got to be uh, conscientious about your tripod noise and you, just everything, your food, you know, food wrappers, and because those deer can and will hear you, and uh, you you know you got to set up and just pick it apart. So uh, yeah. 500 to 1200 yards is probably ideal for me i was just gonna say that i was thinking about that when you were talking 
I think a lot of people that are new to coos deer hunting don't understand that there's several kind of barriers or windows where, you know, when you, when you hunt antelope, you can get, you know, four, five, three, four, five hundred yards from them and they'll just kind of stay out there in the wide open and they'll, but you start closing the gap and they all of a sudden don't like it. I would say about 600 yards, 550 to 600 yards and closer is where you can't uh, clank tripod legs together. You cannot talk. You have to whisper. You cannot have your radio up and have someone, the squelch come on and without the deer knowing. They will know you're there at, you know, 500 to, if you're inside of 550 or 600 yards, they can see you really, really well. If you just pop right out on an open face or out on and just sit out on an open rock exposed, um, they can see you. If you're in the sun, they can see you. That's why I like to, just like what you're saying, I like to be about that 800 yard mark and they can still, in some situations, if the wind's right, they can hear you. They can still, if the sun's in the right spot, they can see you. But if you can stay 550 yards away from those deer as much as you possibly can, that's going to give you an opportunity to have a little bit of flexibility and not be so ninja style. Um, and, and conversely, when you start getting closing that 500 yard gap, you know, Dar and I have always for a long time had a rule of we never get inside of 300 yards of a deer we want to kill. We're talking about rifle hunting. So when we're guiding hunters in Mexico, unless we've made a mistake or unless there was no other option, we will not go closer than 300 yards because I've seen it so many times when you get closer than 300 yards, the deer end up figuring you out. They end up winding you. They end up seeing you. They end up smelling you. They end up hearing something and they're on alert. And then instead of them standing up out of their bed and they just kind of start feeding, they stand up and literally bolt or they stand up and immediately walk and because they know you're there. So realize that these deer are very very particular and that you need that distance barrier to kind of have that cushion where they don't know you're there um and i think rifle hunters they don't realize and and i shouldn't say rifle hunters i think a lot of rifle hunters that i've seen don't realize how aware of their surroundings coos deer are and i think even more than a lot of different animals it just seems like their their heads on a swivel. They can they can see you know they're locked on you. They can hear. Certainly, I've been sitting glassing on ridges on Arizona public land, and you know literally guys eight nine hundred yards away. I can hear them talking. Well, if I can hear them, the deer can dang sure hear them. Um, so that would be some tips that I would give. Creed, I uh, want to finish with. Uh, moving into the January season, the over-the-counter archery deer, um, for those listening in Arizona, it's archery deer, it's any deer, so you can shoot a mule deer or a coos deer. Um, tips in general for people that are going to be um, archery deer hunting during the rut, um, give me the couple minute version as opposed to, we could dive and talk for hours, but give me just some tips for those archery hunters. Well, uh, just, you know, quickly here, I think, um, you got to sit down and think about how bad you want to harvest a deer with your bow. 
and let that kind of dictate the style that you choose to, uh, you know, to partake in. It, it is such a dry year. It, I got to believe that um, there's going to be quite a bit of deer harvested off water this January. I, even with the cold temperatures, the, 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 the vegetation is dry and the deer just, they're just not getting what they would normally get out of the vegetation, uh, moisture wise. So that's, I think they're going to be watering a little more often. Um, don't be afraid to utilize calls, especially in the pre-rut. Um, yeah, that goes for mule deer as well. Uh, I do believe that everybody that intends to hunt in January, uh, mule deer are going to be in for a treat, at least in this region, because I do believe the rut is, it's trending towards being a week later than normal. So here where normally a lot of those does, w uh, would be getting bred here in the next few days, the big bucks aren't even on them yet. So it, it's looking like that first to second week in January is going to be the ticket. So if you, you know, you got a little bit of time, you got to pick some days to hunt and you want to hunt mule deer, I would consider hunting that first and second week. Coos deer, if they follow the same trend, there's no way to really know. But, you know, middle of the month to the third in potentially even the fourth week of the month uh, might be your better days. You know, and just I think we talked about mindset. Um, you really want to shoot a deer with your bow. You need to kind of almost have that monk like mindset just laser focus and you really got to want it and you know give it everything you got awesome buddy thanks for coming on and sharing with us today I, the listeners love uh hearing your strategies and your tactics congratulations on that deer with uh with your friend um what is your own plan coming up uh for the the, the new season in the new the new year in 2021 as far as Will you be archery hunting uh, quite a bit for deer? Yeah, Jay. So that's probably the last time you'll ever have to ask me that question because the answer is always going to be the same. And that's, yeah, <laughs> if that's, you're yeah. alive and you're kicking, you're going to be hunting archery deer in January. Right. So it looks like this year, most of my, you know, the time off that I'm going to have is towards the, in the back half of the month. So my, most of my focus, like every year, will be on coos deer and if the right mule deer uh, makes an appearance, you know, maybe he better watch out because I'll probably send an arrow over his back and scare him. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I'll definitely be out there and I'll be giving it heck and I'm searching for coos deer, archery coos deer number 10 and, uh, pretty much committed to making sure that's the biggest one yet. So yeah. Awesome, buddy. Well,